science. This is about science. Yeah. This is about things that one can be 200% certain about. You can imagine, I mean, I'm having te- more than 30 years of experience in this field. I have a certain reputation in this field. I, 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 I'm having a certain, you know, proud and, and of course ambition. I'm not going to make a fool of myself calling on the WHO and saying, guys, wait a minute and, and diffusing this message all over the world to all public health and, and, and global health organizations, to regulatory agencies, to, to NIH, etc. So if you do this and you are a serious person, I mean, you ought to be more than 100% certain that what you're talking about is a real, a real risk that can be completely scientifically justified. I, I'm not going to tell too much in detail about uh, about my fear and how I think uh, what I think w- will will happen. But uh, well, you see, I think you, you see, I think you should because the reality is, Gert, that um, we know you know where this podcast is going to go. It's not going to go too far, and if it was to go anywhere far, it's going to be mm. deleted. Um, and I think anybody that who wants to know about these this needs to know about it and i think um, we need to have this sort of open conversation and i think um you need to express your fears hello ah there you go hi just like that yeah hey how you doing i'm fine how about yourself oh i'm not too bad not too bad is a good answer yeah. Annie. Um I was just thinking downstairs um how it's kind of funny that somehow we have found ourselves talking to each other, that you're doing a podcast and I'm talking to a scientist. It's you know, and that our worlds have somehow come together in these last times, you know, it's um the yeah. strangest of times. It's, yeah. It's a strange time. We all are losing friends because of this madness. But on the other hand, we are all making new friends all over the world. People we thought we would never, ever meet, we would never, ever talk to. And, uh, you know, so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very strange. You're right. Yeah. And it is very interesting that when you just mentioned that, um, just the types of people that you've met and that you find yourself gravitating towards. And the, to me, it's it's a very, it's it's not like it's just, it's across, it's not just scientists. It's not, it's it's across every single um, structure in life, every single position. And somehow we've all found ourselves coming together. And somehow we've had this, for some it was pointed out maybe, I don't know, but others have had this kind of odd feeling this gut feeling, yeah. let's just say, and some have been able to articulate it very well, but we've come together and there's a kind of an honesty. I mean, I think any of us, if we catch ourselves with a bit of confirmation bias or a little bit of whatever, we kind of go, yeah, well, you're not totally, that's not right either. You know, it's not mm. so, black. we somehow are okay with not black and white. And yet that's yeah. our, that's our black and white, that the black and white is allowed. And you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. 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 Of course. Of course. 
Yeah, well, uh, we'll see where uh, how this further evolves. Uh, it's uh, it's a crazy world, and uh, on top of this crisis, we now have uh, <laughs> Russia invading uh, Ukraine. So uh, it's um, it's it's weird. It's very 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 weird. So difficult to predict what's going to happen in this world. Um, because yeah, I'm uh, probably one of the very few on this planet who is. Uh, who firmly believes that the pandemic is not over, and uh, that is that is of course uh, that is not very good news. Uh, so, so yeah. And I, yeah, I'm wondering whether do we dive straight in there, or do we go back in time? But let me. It's up to you. It's up to you. No, let's go there with that, because really, if you were to look at. Uh, the mainstream narrative, the story of life, let's just say, and the singular one was COVID for two years. And now in a heartbeat, it's something yeah. absolutely other. All the mm. while, a lot of us are kind of going, uh, you know, this COVID thingy, what's, <laughs> uh, what's happening? You mm. know, and what, there is the feeling of something coming, but you know, there's no, so what is your sense of that? Well, my sense, it's, it's not really just a sense because I, I hate to, uh, you know, to, I, I hate to go by gut feelings, uh, yes. uh because, well, the, the situation is as follows. So this is a complex thing in a sense that, uh, it is, first of all, things are evolving. Yeah? So it's a dynamic thing. It's a complex thing because it's an interplay between a virus and the immune system. And all this is playing out at a population level, not just at an individual level. So these things are, and then there is, of course, all the human intervention. We have had the infection prevention measures. Uh, we had, of course, the mass vaccination campaigns, etc. And so um, some people then believe, wow, this is so complex. We, we cannot predict this anyway. And, uh, and therefore, we, we just have to wait and see. And and I don't agree with this. I mean, there is a way of analyzing this, and not just by mathematical modeling, because basically I, I'm not involved in any mathematical modeling on this uh, pandemic, because I, you know, you, you know, a modeling is only as good as the assumptions, right? So if the assumptions taken for the modeling are not okay, then you can be sure that the outcome of the modeling uh, is not going to have any predictive value. So. Um, but um, what, I'm, what I'm saying to, to respond to your question is that uh, what we have seen is that we have been, of course, doing a lot of, of, of vaccination. Many, many Western countries have uh, managed to vaccinate their population up to 60, 70, uh, almost 80 percent some. And what we got is a kind of variant that is now circulating that is, in fact, completely, completely resistant to the neutralizing antibodies that have been generated by those vaccines. So it's you, you can certainly not say that this is a success of the mass vaccination campaign. Some of, some of the public health authorities are now trying to say, well, see, uh, thanks to the mass vaccination campaigns, we have now tamed this virus and it's, it, it has become mild. Of course, people in the street would say, well, yeah, it seems like this makes some sense, was maybe a good idea. But as a scientist, uh, you, it's impossible to say this, to conclude this, first of all, because 
the virus has become completely resistant to the to, to the vaccine. So the, the the neutralizing antibodies in the vaccines are no longer working. So that means we have been generating a vaccine that basically has become completely resistant to the neutralizing effect of the vaccines. That is one thing. Second thing is, yes, this, uh, this strain, this variant is rather mild, eh? but it is nevertheless a highly, highly infectious. It's probably the most infectious virus that we have ever seen on this planet, right? So it's not like we're almost back to the times where we had the original strain, the Wuhan strain circulating, uh, which was also not too bad because most of the people, you know, uh, were basically only elderly people and people with uh, underlying disease so who suffered really from, from disease and severe disease. Uh, so, so Omicron may even, maybe a little bit milder even, but it's still highly infectious. And that is very, very worrisome. And uh, if that is something you are interested, Frank, I can explain you why I'm so worried about the current, the current situation and yes. why, why, and I hate to be a doom preacher. I'm not at all a doom preacher. I'm just an, analyzing this from my uh, background, which is virology, immunology, and vaccinology. The, the, the reason why this is very worrisome. So, so is, I think, so, so yeah. I, what I'm going to get you to do then, because I, I probably have to get you to do it at the end. So let me get you to introduce yourself. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, the way it is, it's, it's, that's how it is. And I think it's best that you do that because it is, you know, it's not just you're having to go or making it up or whatever. This yeah. is your, this is mm. your life's work. So, yeah. um, so maybe that's the way to just introduce yeah. yourself and your background and your experience. And then let's well, go yeah. to there. Okay. Well, yeah. So just to briefly introduce myself, uh, here, Sandenbosch, I uh, got, was trained, I got trained in, uh, in, in, in veterinary medicine, but uh, early on in, uh, in my career, I switched uh, to human infectious diseases. I studied uh, molecular biology and uh, virology and immunology, uh, worked for a long time at the uh, university, uh, first in Berlin, in Germany, and then in the southern part of, um, of Germany, close to Stuttgart, where I specialized, in fact, in environmental virology. So that, that was about isolating and characterizing uh, human viruses uh, for example, in wastewater, in air, in soil, etc. So the environment uh, being a potential uh, source for or risk for contamination of uh, human beings by uh, by viruses. And then after uh, some time, uh, well, a uh, number of years actually in academia, I switched uh, to industry. Worked for uh, 15 years in uh, in industry. Uh, in uh, big uh, vaccine companies, just as uh, G such as GSK and uh, Novartis, and also uh, Solvay. And um, after that, I um, moved on to work with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation in Seattle, where I was a senior program uh, officer uh, in vaccine discovery, basically coordinating a number of uh, projects around vaccine discovery, developing new vaccines, especially targeted on uh, infectious diseases in uh, third world countries. And, uh, so like, for example, on uh, TB, uh, HIV and, um, and uh, yeah, less malaria because malaria, of course, is not the virus, TB isn't either. So I was primarily focusing on, on also on viral diseases, uh, but on, on vaccine discovery. And then uh, after that, I uh, combined a number of activities. I set up uh, 
my own company uh, where I focused on NK cell, natural killer cell um, vaccines. Uh, in the meantime, I was also doing consultancy, which I'm still doing. And, uh, and I also worked uh, for some time with uh, Gavi, the Global Alliance for Vaccines and Immunization, uh, which uh, obviously are uh, global health, non-for-profit uh, global health organizations. And then, of course, at the beginning of last year, I got um, alarmed uh, when I heard that the vaccines that were uh, being developed uh, for fighting uh, SARS-CoV-2 we're going to be uh, rolled out massively across all age groups. And uh, that is where I launched my call uh, to the WHO and uh, was, uh, well, expressing my uh, concern and uh, my worry about uh, these vaccines uh, being rolled out massively across all age groups uh, and, and that in the midst of a pandemic. So that is where I started warning for this phenomenon, immune escape, the virus being capable of uh, escaping to the immune response induced by the vaccines, simply because these vaccines are not capable of preventing the transmission. So they, they basically leave the door open to the virus to select more infectious mutants, and these mutants and these variants become more and more dominant. That's how we have seen that we had, for example, the alpha, the beta, the gamma, the delta, and now the omicron. Um, and uh, yeah, so this, uh, and, and can, can this it, has been my story so far. Yeah, yeah. So um, if I was just to bring you back before the pandemic, just briefly in terms of general life and general work life. So um, a lot of your your energy in your life was in that, in this area. And what I'm kind of just understand before March 2020, let's just say, or before the rollout of the vaccines, Obviously, in work and in daily life, you have constant arguments in science. You, you battle things out in rooms. You look for proof. You, you have real discussions. And it's not for the faint-hearted. But I presume that's a general part. So if you were working, and you mentioned the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundations, there's arguments on a daily basis where you agree, you disagree. And I suppose I'm trying to get a sense of, is that's... I'm probably leading you, but that's ordinary life where we agree and disagree. We look for proof. We we say, hold on a second there, and and things normally stop for somebody to justify. I, I, what I'd like you to kind of, in your own words, as best you can, to describe that was that's normal life, and then suddenly that scenario just seemed to come to a dead stop. Can, can you? Do you know the, what I'm trying to say? Yeah, well, I, I think what you're trying to say is that all of a sudden, because this has been my major concern and uh, this has been my major call, my call, my first call to the WHO back in uh, uh, the beginning of, of last year, was about having this scientific debate as we usually do. So uh, I uh, realized that uh, something... Uh, was likely to be going wrong, and therefore I was soliciting an, a scientific debate, as we usually have, as you were just pointing out. So I was asking, guys, I mean, there is something very serious here, potentially, and, and, and now you're considering doing this type of vaccination uh, all over the world. So uh, we must more than ever talk about this and, uh, and have a discussion on the pros and cons. 
because but that was, that was a big jump. Very serious. That was a big jump to go to the WHO in a way. It, it, it was were all other doors closed, or did you, you know? No, uh, I think I, I think Frank, uh, this is uh, this was the, the way to do it because I still consider that uh, the the organization that is to blame here is the WHO. They were the ones who declared this a pandemic. Okay, was a pandemic, still is a pandemic. But they declared it an health, a health emergency of international concern. And, and that is my point. If you do this, if you do this as WHO, and you then propose to fight this pandemic, this health emergency of international concern with vaccines, then automatically, automatically, you open the door to industry, because WHO, they can do this, they can declare this, but first of all, they have no access to vaccines, they have no infrastructure, they have no, you know, significant contracts with small biotech companies that could do this, and they have no money. So the only organization that can basically do this, supply vaccine, produce, manufacture vaccines at that large scale and distribute them all over the world is Big Pharma. And secondly, as the WHO has no money, they completely depend on sponsors. And major sponsors of WHO are also Big Pharma. So they completely depend on Big Pharma for the infrastructure, for the vaccines, and for the money. So you know, when you then open the door to Big Pharma, you know what you're going to get. In Big Pharma, it's all about enriching the shareholders, of course. It's all about the money. So you cannot blame, you, you should not reach out to, to Big Pharma, because that is what they do. That is their business model, is to make money to enrich the shareholders. And frankly right. speaking, I've been criticized by a number of people in academia, by a number of, uh, you know, fact checkers uh, that don't even have a scientific background, but I've never been criticized by my peers in industry. Those guys, That's where I learned my job. Those guys know what I'm talking about. So again, for me, I think it was the right thing to do to go straight to the source of this, of, of what caused this madness. And that was the green light of the WHO. And I maintain that, you know, they are at the origin and they are really at the source of what happened by opening the door before having taught it through twice and before having discussed with a number of people and experts, they've opened the door to big pharma. And then, of course, you have Big Pharma, you have a number of key opinion leaders that have all, of course, conflicts of interest because they're all consultants for global health and public health organizations, or they're having shares in these Big Pharma companies. And then all this is chaperoned by the WHO. And in fact, the, uh, our governments and our uh, public health agencies are just the puppets. These are the puppets, right, of the, of the Big Pharma. So if you put this together, you come to this kind of scenario back to your point where a discussion is is no longer possible because it becomes completely inconvenient when once this machine start rolling and once all these contracts have been signed and all these powers have come into place there is basically no way back so any kind of discussion that would go in an opposite direction or that would even you know that would criticize or would ask to consider uh, or to take other arguments into consideration becomes all of a sudden extremely inconvenient. And, and you know, people, especially also the official a agencies, uh, 
public health authorities, uh, other, you know, uh, experts, uh, advisors, etc., don't even want to hear this because it's very, very inconvenient, right? So that, that explains why the discussion is, is, is no longer possible. We, are, we continue to ask for an open, multidisciplinary debate, but we know very well that's not going to happen. It's, uh, it's, they have pushed it too far. There is no way back for them. So, so, you, so you take March 2020, February, March 2020, um, both of us live in different lives. I'm, I come back from skiing in Austria and I've actually got the, I got the Wuhan virus and gave it to my family, right? So I, that's what I was dealing with. You're sitting at home and you're looking at this thing rapidly being proclaimed as by the WHO as whatever, I think it was March 28 or something like that. They said, this is a pandemic. So you're sitting at home having a cup of tea. What, what are you thinking at that moment in time? Did you know it was well, going to be full no. steam vaccine or did you know? I must say two things, uh, Frank. I mean, I only realized the kind of disaster this was potentially going to provoke when I first heard about the endpoints in the clinical studies. The endpoints were clearly, uh, besides, of course, a positive PCR test, protection against disease, not protection against transmission or infection, not protection against infection or transmission. And then the second thing was that I realized that the purpose was basically to roll out these vaccination campaigns, not just in vulnerable groups like we do with the, with the flu vaccine, for example, but across all age groups. And you may remember that my argument uh, has always been that you will inevitably, you will cause immune escape when you are going to vaccinate with vaccines that cannot cut the chain of transmission. And you do this in the midst of a pandemic and you do this massively. You basically are going to vaccinate, you know, all age groups. When you do this, I mean, that is, that is in fact a textbook example for how you generate immune escape and how you generate more infectious variants. At that moment only, at that moment only, I, you know, so I was we, alarming. Yeah. Immune escape, let me try and say it back to you. In, <clears throat> in essence, because the vaccines did not stop transmission, so in other words, if I get it, I can give it to somebody else, vaccinated or not vaccinated, um, that... It's immune escape means... I, I, I always think people, you know, because I've been talking about this immune escape uh, hundreds of times and all I my interviews are, are immune escape. So, but uh, yeah, in fact, in, in simple terms, it comes down to the fact that uh, if you give uh, an, an organism, you know, uh, certainly a microorganism, the opportunity to replicate... But in an environment where, you know, in a, in a, in an, let's say an environment that is not favorable to the replication of that microorganism, then you are going to force that microorganism to make a natural selection. So that means that you have, for example, an obstacle and that obstacle could be antibodies, for example, in the body, but that obstacle could also be an, a temperature at which the microorganism cannot well replicate, for example. Eh? Or it could be, for example, a composition of a medium that is not favorable to the development of that microorganism. 
But the unfavorable conditions, so in this case, the massive immune pressure that is exerted by the population in form of antibodies as a result of the mass vaccination, that immune pressure, that obstacle will not completely prevent the virus from replicating and transmitting. Because we were just saying these vaccines cannot cut the chain of transmission. So what that means is that every single microorganism, when it replicates, it will automatically generate mutants, variants. That has nothing to do with the mass vaccination. I never ever said that mass vaccination is generating mutations. The mutations, you have them anyway. But amongst those mutations, there will be some of these mutations, some variants that happen to be very resistant to the obstacle that the virus is encountering, namely the huge immune pressure in the population as a result of the mass vaccination. So now all of a sudden, these variants, they are facing, they are having a competitive advantage compared to the original strain. Why? Because these variants, they can, their nature of mutation is such that they can easily overcome that obstacle, whereas the original strain cannot overcome that obstacle. So that means that this variant has now a competitive advantage And if it gets transmitted to the next person, again, because these vaccines cannot prevent transmission, and this next person is also presenting this kind of unfavorable environment, then again, this variant will again have a competitive advantage. And then when it passes to the next person who also offers this unfavorable environment, then again, it has a competitive advantage. And in this way, it gets enriched in the population, in the viral population. And that is the way that these viral variants become dominant. Now, all of a sudden, they become dominant. So in fact, mass vaccination is not responsible for generating mutants, but it is responsible for making a mutant, a variant, dominant in the uh, viral population. And what, what will be the features of this more resistant variant, eh, of that variant that has a competitive advantage? Well, it's very easy. What are you doing? What, what kind of obstacle are you putting? You're putting an obstacle you know, that uh, comes down to exerting immune pressure on the virus. And that immune pressure comes from the antibodies, okay? Mm-hmm. And the antibodies are directed against the spike protein, okay? And the spike protein is responsible for the infectiousness, okay? So, in fact, you're putting immune pressure on the virus infectiousness. So, those variants that are more infectious, they will have a competitive advantage, of course, because the pressure is put on the infectiousness. So, you ought to be more infectious in order to be able to overcome that immune pressure that is directed at the spike protein, which is responsible for the infectiousness. So that, that is the reason why the type of uh, variants that we are seeing that start to dominate are not whatever variants. They're all characterized by the same, they also have the same common denominator, which is enhanced infectiousness. Alpha, beta, gamma, delta, omicron were all characterized 
by the fact that they were more infectious than the original Wuhan strain. And now, for example, Omicron is even highly infectious, right? So that is, that is, that is what we call immune escape because basically you end up with a viral variant that is dominant. It's basically the only virus that is still circulating. For example, you have seen how all of a sudden Omicron started popping up and a few weeks after, you know, almost 90 or 95% of the infections were caused by, by, by Omicron. So that is, that is how it becomes dominant. It's, it's basically the only strain that is responsible for ca- causing infection and, and, and disease. And um, that is what we call an immune escape because this Omicron or this Delta is now capable, in fact, of escaping, of resisting to the immune pressure that you have built and the extreme level of, of, of resistance to this obstacle is, of course, when the virus, in fact, ignores the full neutralizing capacity of this, uh, of this sera, of these antibodies. And it, it can just replicate regardless, regardless of even the level of antibodies that are built up in a certain individual. So that is what we call immune escape. It's really ignoring the immune, completely ignoring the immune response, escaping from it, right? So is that, is that why that, you know, before this best practice and what you were talking about at the very start is best practice was, would never be to mass vaccinate during. No, no. See, I was just saying what is so important, Frank, to understand is if you do this only with a small fraction of the population, right? then the likelihood that a variant that has had a competitive advantage, for example, in your body, because you got immunized, for example, and, you know, a variant, a more infectious variant would have a competitive advantage to replicate in your body. But if you transmit this virus, for example, to me, and I'm not exerting this immune pressure, because I was, for example, not, not vaccinated or not immunized, then this more infectious variant is losing that competitive advantage in my body. Okay. So the, the selection that took place is, is in fact, you know, neutralized because in my body, there is no competitive advantage and it cannot, it cannot in fact become stronger than the original strain. So what is very important is that you need to have, for example, the possibility of transmission so that you can passage the virus from one person to the other. That is given by the fact that these vaccines cannot or not, cannot block transmission. And secondarily, it's very important that the vast majority of the people are presenting that obstacle to the virus so that the variant that got selected in one person every single time that it's passage to another person experiences this obstacle and hence benefits from the competitive advantage. That is how it can ultimately be enriched in the population and how it can become dominant. So I've already said two things. First of all, mass vaccination, very, very important. If you do this just in a small amount of people like we do uh, with, the, with the flu vaccine, just the vulnerable people, you're not going to have this effect. If you do this with vaccines that can really cut the transmission, eh, you are not going to have this effect. Mm. But if you, and if you do this on top during a pandemic, 
I mean, then for sure you're going to have this effect because you have to realize when you immunize people, then it takes time before they build up a full-fledged immune response. And that is also why you need sometimes even a second dose, a boost, because it takes time. It takes several weeks before you have really a very good immune response. So if during that time you are already exposed to the virus, which is typical when if you are in a pandemic, you have, you know, a con continuously a risk of being exposed to the virus. But if you get vaccinated, I mean, you have no quarantine after your vaccination. So you're building up your antibodies and tack the next day or one week thereafter before your immune response is full-fledged, you get exposed to the virus and the virus encounters an immune response that is immature, that is not full-fledged. So that makes it on top for the virus so easy to escape from that immune response. So if you take all these factors together and the mass vaccination and vaccines that cannot cut transmission and you do this during the pandemic, then there is no other way than you will drive immune escape. I always compare this to going to, a, to, to war, to the battlefield, and you start loading your gun once you have arrived at the battlefield. Of course, you're too late because you will already be under attack before your weapon is fully loaded. So you have to load your weapon before you go to the battlefield. That is also the reason, Frank, when you travel to a foreign country where there is, for example, one or the other infectious disease that you can vaccinate yourself against, you will make sure that you get your full vaccination well before, of course, of course. Yes. See, if you put all these factors together, and then we know that this virus is highly mutable, it can easily, you know, it can easily take on another code and change. So all these factors together make that it was a given. That's why I'm saying it's not about a sense. This is about science. Yeah. This is about things that one can be 200% certain about. You can imagine, I mean, I'm having more than 30 years of experience in this field. I have a certain reputation in this field. I, 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 I'm having a certain, you know, proud and, and of course ambition, I'm not going to make a fool of myself calling on the WHO and saying, guys, wait a minute, and and diffusing this message all over the world to all public health and and, and global health organizations, to regulatory agencies, to, to NIH, etc. So if you do this and you are a serious person, I mean, you ought to be more than 100% certain that what you're talking about is a real, a real risk that can be completely scientifically justified, right? So, so it's not about the sense. Yeah, but you then, I suppose what I was getting to was that ordinarily, you know, with in all your previous work, you would have been able to make these statements and discussion would have happened. But, you know, you you would debate would have ensued and your worries would have been brought to the table and people would have stopped and backed up everything mm -hmm. that they were doing. But what happened? Well, I think I came too late because you, you may the know. The machine uh, started. That is, sorry, the machine. Yeah, yeah, well, well, well the, the, the agreements, the agreements have been made. That is the thing. And, 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 you know, a lot of these things, I'm, I'm sure you have heard this, you know, uh, 
that uh, citizens, even scientists, and, and you know, got no insight whatsoever in all these contracts, for example, that were concluded between the, the big pharma and, and uh, you know, the, uh, the European Commission, for example. So there were contracts were signed, agreements were made, and it, none of this has been transparent. And even up to till today, I mean, for example, as well in the UK, as in the US, as in my country, public health authorities, for example, have not been open about the data. Eh? Governments have not been open about the contracts, et cetera, et cetera. And so that, what that means is that uh, personally, I learned pretty late about, you know, what were, were exactly the endpoints of the studies, what were exactly, what uh, were the data, what was the plan? Was, was the plan just to vaccinate vulnerable people like we do with, with influenza, uh, which would have been logical because remember when, uh, the pandemic started, you know, it was primarily or basically only elderly people and people yeah. with underlying disease and that were immune suppressed, uh, the vast majority of these people, you know, above uh, 75 or even 80 years old. So it would have been logical to make a vaccine for that vulnerable part of the population. So it all this came to our ears pretty late. And I think at that moment, the agreements were already made. The plan was already made. And I'm repeating myself one of the you know most renowned vaccinologists on this planet i copied this person when i you know when i reached out to the who asking them for an open debate and he responded to me because he was copied and i of course he this person knows me and this person said me wrote me an email saying basically geert you are right these vaccines are just going to breed variants, but nobody is going to listen to you because you go against the current. So these are people that know what I'm talking about, that understand this, but unfortunately, they either, uh, you know, are part of big pharma, have shares in those companies, or they are consultants for WHO, for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, for CDC, for you know, all, all these organizations that are deeply involved uh, in, in, in this, yeah, well, I, I call it mad vaccination campaigns, no longer mass vaccination campaigns. So the, the ball was already rolling. And uh, I think I came, uh, I came, I really came too late. Uh, but uh, nobody from industry, you know, because th that is really where they know uh, what is going to happen and, and, and what is this doing? It's not, not people in academia that, uh, have all this complex, uh, an understanding of this, of, of this complex phenomena. People yeah, in industry do. And can uh, I ask you just, to, um, this is a very simple question, but, um, most of uh, us people who are, you know, in the world would think of vaccines in a certain way and they would you know like you mentioned when you're traveling to South America yeah. or and there would be a kind of very distinct view of what vaccines were now rapidly it became clear that it, so I want to know is this true it seemed like the definition of the word vaccine changed in a period of time to accommodate these mRNA vaccines. Now, uh, there's a couple of questions in that. First of all, it, were you aware of mRNA vaccines? What, what was your view of them? And did you look upon them as 
traditional vaccines and you know what was your view of that and did yeah. that come into play with your um with the, your approach to the who like did you know about those particular vaccines yeah i did know of course about these uh, vaccines i mean these vaccines uh, have not been commercialized but uh, they have been explored uh, since many many years you know uh, genetic vaccines uh, dna rna based uh, vaccines uh, but um no, that didn't change my view. Of course, of course, we were all surprised about the side effects that these vaccines can cause because uh, the big difference with the conventional vaccine is, of course, that the antigen is not produced like in uh, a factory outside of your body. Your body is basically used as the factory to produce. Eh? So yes. they introduce the genetic code, so to say, and you produce the antigen, the protein in your body. But what uh, we were very surprised about is that, uh, in fact, this production inside your body of this antigen uh, is not well defined. In some people, it lasts for many months. In some people, the concentrations of this production are very, very high. In some people, this production takes place not just in the muscle where it gets injected, but in many several different organs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that was a surprise. But to your point, yes, in terms of the immunology, I consider these vaccines to be conventional vaccines. Why? Well, it's not, Frank, because the technology, because the technology is modern and new, that the concept of immunization is different. The concept of this immunization is, again, to induce antibodies against the spike protein. The spike protein that is responsible for the infectiousness. And again, whether you use protein-based vaccines, the conventional vaccines, or you use a vaccine that will make your cells, your body cells, produce this antigen in your body, it will still elicit antibodies against that very same spike protein. And so, in fact, the immune response that is targeted is exactly the same. Antibodies against spike protein. And so even those antibodies that are generated by the genetic vaccines cannot, cannot prevent transmission of the virus. And in that regard, the concept is exactly the same as the one of the conventional vaccines in a sense that this vaccine, none of these vaccines can block the transmission and therefore all of these vaccines are susceptible to immune escape. But of course, they do have different side effects. But, you know, I mean, the side effects are in the short term. But I'm talking about the immune escape and ultimately the resistance to the vaccine this is something that plays out in the mid or in the longer term, but that will affect everybody. Because if you get vaccinated, but your vaccinal antibodies don't work anymore, that concerns everybody. Whereas the side effects, we know there is a genetic predisposition, most likely. And some people are very sensitive to this and they develop side effects and others are just fine. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yeah. Um, I... Let me, there's a couple of angles in my mind. You see, before I looked at anything, 
you know, I just read and there's so much information out there and I, I have to kind of break it down into language that I'll, you know, somehow digest. And and why I was kind of, I look at it from a, a once removed scenario to say, well, first of all, the body is pretty stunning. This is a pretty stunning piece of um, whatever, right? It really yeah. is. And um, and what I couldn't, and this is, I think you've kind of explained it to me with, um, in my, I kind of was slightly concerned that uh, the manner in which these antibodies were produced, that I figured that the body has been pretty good over the years, okay, you know, at producing antibodies. And for, I, I suppose in my simple brain, this is where I'm, you know, I was kind of thinking, does, is that muscle, is that technology in the natural technology of the body turned off if it feels like it's getting that production from somewhere else now i'm not really explaining my so yeah, well, but, but, uh, but i think i understand what you mean yeah, yeah. I, I was kind of going well if the will the body suddenly go okay well I, I just i don't need to do that anymore it's like you know some organs over the over the generations are no longer um used as much because we don't digest the same types of food and that's what I was wondering about these, that, that would it suddenly, yeah. if it was to be repeated often enough, would the body learn not to work this natural approach, that it would depend on something external? But that's not the case, really, is it? Yeah. Well, let, let me let me try to explain this in, in a way that I hope uh, you and your audience uh, will, will understand this. So, first of all, it is very important to realize that we have a kind of, you know, immunity that protects us right from birth without doing anything. So without encountering any antigen, without encountering any pathogen, the type of immunity, which is called innate immunity, protects us against a number of different pathogens, a number of different viruses. And it does, in fact, in very simple terms, it does a marvelous job, particularly in case of a number of viruses like SARS-CoV-2, but like all coronaviruses, like even influenza viruses, and like even another bunch of what we call enveloped viruses. You have viruses that are not enveloped, naked viruses, and you have viruses that have a lipid, a lipid envelope. So probably the innate immunity is doing a very good job, so these innate antibodies, against a whole series of viruses that are enveloped. But certainly, and that has been proven, that has also been published against coronaviruses and hence also against uh, SARS-CoV-2 viruses. So what what this means is that these innate antibodies have a very broad reactivity against a number of viruses And so they can tackle basically all the SARS-CoV-2 variants. They are not highly specific. That is their their advantage. But the disadvantage is that these antibodies have what we call relatively low affinity for the virus. So they can bind to the virus, but not excessively, uh, very, very strongly. So they recognize the virus. They can do a fantastic job because they can recognize all the variants. But this, the, the, the strength of binding is relatively low. So that means the affinity, that's what we call affinity, is relatively low. So what this means is that this type of immunity, 
that is there right from start and protect children is not completely waterproof. So that means that in certain situations, especially when the innate immune response is weakened, for example, in people who have underlying diseases, in elderly people, in people who are immune suppressed, the virus can break through this innate immunity. And that is when you get a disease. That is when you get a disease. But the vast majority of people will recover from the disease mm -hmm. and then they will build acquired antibodies. Those are not the same as the innate antibodies. The acquired antibodies are then very specific and bind with a high affinity to the virus. For example, directed towards the spike protein. So what are vaccinologists saying? They're saying, wow, why would, should we take the risk of going through this innate immunity because the virus may break through that innate immunity? Why shouldn't we, right from start, make sure that we have acquired antibodies? Because they can bind with higher affinity, right? They are stronger. So function, in terms of functionality, they are better. And that is when you start vaccinating people. When you vaccinate people, you kind of like bypass this whole innate immune compartment and you immediately trigger the induction of acquired immunity of antibodies, right? And that is fantastic. And that is what we all the time do with, with vaccines, childhood vaccinations, etc. That's also why, I mean, people who call me, for example, an anti-vaxxer, uh, I mean, we, we are completely, uh, you know, supporting the childhood vaccinations. But there is one problem. I just told you, the price that yes. you pay for this high affinity of these antibodies is that they are very, very specific. So that means that if you are now facing, you know, you have been immunized, you have these highly specific antibodies, but you're now facing a variant, you know, yeah. that carries a spike protein that is different from the one that was used in the vaccine. Because these antibodies are so specific, they are going to ha have a hell of a difficult time to recognize that fact. And so in Omicron, yeah. for, absolutely. For Omicron, we have driven it to the extreme where these antibodies the, that are meant to neutralize the virus are completely dysfunctional. They can no longer neutralize the virus. So in that case, you're probably better off with your innate antibodies that can nevertheless capture a lot of virus and also eliminate the virus, then when you are vaccinated and you have these specific antibodies, because you cannot have both, that is the problem. Why can't you have both? You can't have both because the vaccinal antibodies, even though they do no longer neutralize, they can still bind to the virus and even with an affinity that is still higher than the affinity of your innate antibodies. So that means if you're vaccinated with the Wuhan strain, well, with the spike protein of the Wuhan, these are the current vaccines, and you encounter Omicron, for example, the antibodies are useless because they can no longer neutralize an Omicron. But that doesn't mean that there aren't part of these antibodies that can still bind to the virus and can still, so to say, outcompete your innate antibodies. And that is a problem. 
Because now you're not in a situation where you have simply replaced, so to say, your innate antibodies by highly functional antibodies that recognize the virus and neutralize it, but you have outcompeted your innate antibodies. And in exchange, you're now sitting on antibodies that in terms of neutralizing the virus are completely worthless, right? Mm -hmm. So now we come to the next point, to your question. And that is new knowledge, well, new in science before it gets introduced into practical, practical implementations. It often takes five to 10 years, but about five to 10 years ago, people have found that the innate immunity, the innate antibodies, now we're saying they have relatively low affinity. They can, however, be trained. What does that mean? Well, that is something that you know, your audience, maybe yourself, if you don't know it, you you will have to look it up. But if you are encountering changes in the environment, the changes in the environment through what we call epigenetic changes, epigenetic changes can reprogram, they can reprogram your innate immune system in a way that the antibodies that are produced by this innate immunity acquire higher affinity for the virus. So they they become not completely specific. They can still recognize multiple, multiple viruses or multiple variants, but they will do so with a higher affinity than the affinity of the innate antibodies in a person who has never seen the virus before. For example, a newborn, right? So that already explains that, especially during a pandemic, where we are continuously exposed to the virus, certainly Omicron, because it's highly infectious, that your innate immunity that was not doing a tremendous job at the very beginning, gets trained, even better trained. And at the end of the day, this training becomes so powerful that it is now capable not only of recognizing all the variants, but also with an affinity that is strong enough to do really a good job and that it can even to some extent now outcompete the useless vaccinal antibodies. So that is complex, isn't it? But in practical terms, that means that people, and you will see this because that is the practical evidence, people who were not vaccinated, for example, you will find out, I tell you, that provided they are in good health, provided they are in good health, because there is a correlation scientifically proven between your health status and the quality of your innate immune response. So if you are in good health and you got, you were not vaccinated, for example, you're going to see that these people, they are doing better and better. They are coping better and better with the virus. These people, you know, I'm not saying that they can't get mild or moderate disease, but they are doing better and better because their innate immunity gets trained better and better, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas people who got vaccinated, well, their antibodies don't work anymore, the vaccinal antibodies, and and they are still a little bit suppressing the innate antibodies because they have vaccinal antibodies that are not functional, that still bind to the virus and can mm-hmm. suppress the innate antibodies. So now the vaccinated people are getting more and more disease, not necessarily severe disease, but they get more and more disease because the quality of their innate immune response has been compromised by the vaccinal antibodies in contrast to the situation 
in the non-vaccinated because their innate immunity got better and better because it got trained, right? And now you could say, well, these vaccinal antibodies, okay, but um, this is also the case if we would normally vaccinate, for example. But the problem is we have continuously natural boosts that are occurring. Why? Because Omicron, for example, is highly infectious. That means it is circulating all over and people get exposed and re-exposed, etc. But if you got vaccinated, your immune response got, uh, your immune system got primed. Yeah? So it got primed. It has memory. It can memorize this antigen. And every single time that you will encounter the virus, these antibodies, these vaccinal antibodies will be recalled. They will pop up again and the titers will, you know, will steeply rise again, you know, because this is a natural boost. This is more powerful than when you get a boost in the injection with the vaccine. This is the natural virus that gives you a boost. Yes. And so because the effectivity rate is so high and the virus is circulating, many of these people get continuously boosted and are sitting continuously on the relatively high titers of non-functional antibodies that can more or less on a sustained basis, suppress their innate immunity. And that is why you see that publications are coming out and people are reporting an increasing number of also other diseases. Because I was telling you, these innate antibodies, they not only protect against SARS-CoV-2, but also against other coronaviruses, probably also against influenza virus and a number of other uh, respiratory diseases. So if you suppress them on a prolonged basis, the likelihood that you're now going to see an increased incidence of even some other diseases in, uh, increases, of course, right? So you see the intricacies and, and the implications that this may have. It is pretty complex, but it has all to do with the interaction between the virus, the infection rate, and the immune response that can get better and better trained or that can to some extent get suppressed by other interfering antibodies like vaccinal antibodies. Yes, so I think then we're getting very, we're, we're leading very closely to your first point about the next phase, I think. But um, I'm going to... Um, I'm going to try and say it back to you in now in my own language. I'm going to get it wrong, but I hope I'll just take. But say, for example, a virus has a. Now, this is just really simple. It's not going to get it, but just for. Say a virus has a code and there's 50 numbers in the code, okay? It, ordinarily, the, um, a vaccine tries to match that code. So the 50 numbers and the 50 numbers join together, and let's just say. But the virus, this virus you're talking about, is like, say this Omicron, evidently those 50 numbers have changed. There's, you know, a couple of the digits have gone this way and that way. Some of the, it's way more infectious, but uh, not as strong. But the, the actual vaccine itself is almost unrecognizable now to the virus. They don't recognize each other. And yet the, the vaccine still tries to do what it's supposed to do, and yet it's absolutely useless because the code is totally different, right? In, in mm -hmm. really, and in that code being totally different, the problem is that the body kind of puts in a hierarchy this vaccine antibody and doesn't use the innate ones. 
And so then something else comes into the body, right? Uh, maybe a harmless disease or one that the innate would have done something with and it comes into the body and yet this, these vaccine antibodies try to attach to that, but they're absolutely useless at dealing with that. But the innate ones are not used. Now, I know that's really basic language, but is that is that kind of what you're talking yeah. about? Well, let, let's first say, because it's, it's simply once you have, uh, you know, gotten the, you know, the right reasoning about this, you can, you can do basically the exercise yourself and predict yourself. So imagine, so I was saying, now with Omicron, so the virus has become resistant to the neutralizing antibodies. Hmm. So there is a whole bunch of antibodies that used to bind to the virus with very high affinity, namely the neutralizing antibodies that now all of a sudden don't bind anymore. Mm. So that is a major relief to the innate immune response because you are going to diminish the suppression of that innate immune response, right? Because they, they got suppressed very heavily by these neutralizing antibodies in the past that bound very strongly to the virus. If that is no longer possible, there, you know, there is a whole load of antibodies that is coming off the virus and that is now accessible, I would say, to the innate antibodies. So that explains, that already explains why Omicron is all of a sudden so mild because the innate immune response gets back into the play thanks to the resistance of the virus to the neutralizing antibodies, okay? But I was also saying, wait a minute, because the game is not completely over. Mm. You still have non-neutralizing antibodies induced by the vaccine that can still, to some extent, but with lower affinity, bind to the virus, and that may still, to some extent, suppress your innate immunity, right? This will be primarily the case in people who got very high antibody titers. I was saying the non-neutralizing antibodies, they bind with lower affinity. So their binding can only become substantial if you have really very high titers of antibodies. Who are these people? These are the people that get all their boosts because there you're going to have very high antibody types. Or, or these are people that have innate antibodies with very low affinity. Who are these people? These are our children. The children, therefore, when we vaccinate the children, we give them antibodies that are useless, but they will bind the non-neutralizing antibodies will bind to some extent with the virus and they will have a hell of an easy job. Although they bind in a very lousy way, they will have a hell of an easy job to outcompete the very naive, non-trained, innate antibodies in children. So these people now, or despite the fact that Omicron, so to say, is very mild, thanks to the resistance to the neutralizing antibodies, are still susceptible to the disease. So if we now massively vaccinate our children, and in the meantime, we are going to boost, you know, the adult populations and adolescents, etc., we will end up 
with a substantial part of the population that becomes susceptible to disease, not necessarily severe disease and death, because I told you the innate immune response has been a little bit relieved, but in those people with very immature innate antibodies or those who have very high titers of axonal antibodies, there may still be some suppression sufficient to provoke mild or moderate disease. So what you then have is that all of a sudden you have in your population pockets of people that have high antibody titers or that have low innate immune response like the children and that will get a disease. And as a result of the disease, they will now develop antibodies, of course, against Omicron. And so now you have pockets of people who get disease by Omicron and all of a sudden, why I'm saying all of a sudden, because the virus is so infectious, all of a sudden they start to develop antibodies. And you are going to have pockets of people that have all of a sudden high antibody titers against Omicron. It's like you're doing a kind of mass vaccination against Omicron now. Because all of a sudden, within a few weeks, you may have parts of the population that develop high antibody titers for the reasons that I just explained. And when that happens, you have exactly the same effect of a mass vaccination. The only thing is now the immune pressure will now be put placed on Omicron itself, and it will drive Omicron again into resistance against those antibodies. And those variants that will resist these natural antibodies, my fear is that these, these, these type of variants could be much more virulent than those that we have seen before. So there, uh, we need to be very, 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 very um, cautious. But uh, I hope, Frank, you understand that at the basis of this problem is the fact that we are ending up with viral variants that are highly infectious. Because if people are susceptible to the disease, it wouldn't matter that much if the virus would not be very infectious. Because if the virus would not be very infectious, somebody would get a disease today, somebody else tomorrow, another person in a week or so of now, and you would not all of a sudden be building up this immune pressure it would be diluted over several weeks or months. And if it gets diluted, by definition, the pressure diminishes and the likelihood that you're now going to have a selection of a variant that resists to this immune pressure, you know, is non-existent. But if you have this pressure all of a sudden together, because all these susceptible people are now highly likely to encounter the virus within a short period of time because the virus is so infectious, then you build up this surge, this surge of immune pressure. And it is the pressure that is what drives immune escape, right? Mm -hmm. So that is the tricky situation. And therefore, I'm calling for what I'm, what I call an overall, an overall antiviral uh, chemoprophylaxis campaign. So that means what we would need to do is in populations that are highly vaccinated and where per definition almost you see high infection rates, we would need to treat the population with an antiviral just one single time, well, for six weeks, for example, but, but you know, not repetitively, but treat these people 
with antivirals for a number of weeks so that the infectious pressure comes down because then the likelihood that several people will get the disease altogether and build this immune pressure would be dramatically diminished, right? And so you would not have to fear that yet another dangerous variant would pop up and become dominant all of a sudden. So pro, uh, give me an example of an antiviral. Well, you know, the, the, the antiviral that would be most suited for like, you know, a mass prophylaxis campaign that is available everywhere, that is very cheap, you know, that is extremely safe because it has been administered to millions of of people is, of course, ivermectin. Yeah, I'll beep it. I'll 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 beep that word. Yeah, 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 of course. It's scandal. Why, you know, why uh, it is, it has been proven in so many studies that it is very, very uh, efficacious and very safe. It's uh, it's available everywhere, uh, but uh, yeah, for uh, very obvious reasons, uh, so to say, it cannot be used because it is, of course, hampering uh, the, uh, the the commercialization or the distribution of the vaccines. But if you so if you take my uh, country now, I think ninety percent of the population got two of them, and mm. then. I don't know if the figures for the booster were as good, but they were pretty good. Uh, uh, pretty good, yeah. as in what the what mm. the big business wanted. That a huge amount of people took them, and then um, as of December, whatever first they rolled out the vaccine campaign towards children. Now the uptake hasn't been as good. I think it's one in four, and mm. um, that's when I got in touch with Dr. Jessica Rose, and we spoke and we went through the her work on the VARS database. And um, and I, I remember you coming out at the time kind of saying, look, uh, Omicron is the, in a way, is our, can be, in simple terms, you just, can we stop doing the vaccination? Omicron is the last, that is the thing that could stop, save, it, save yeah, us all, really. It could, yeah. Now, the reality is the campaign's still going on subtly and people are still going out there, even though, the CEO of Pfizer came out and said that they're useless. A pretty certainty came out and said something like that, useless to Omicron, and yet still they're being pushed and still pushed towards children. Um, but what you're kind of saying then, if I understand you, is that because of the worrisome element of a highly boosted population and the potential implications, it would be very wise for a population to pro prophylactically treat them with antivirals such as ivermectin. Now, I cannot see any population, any government in the Western world doing that at the moment. Can you? I I mean, I I can't see. I mean, that is is why why, uh, I'm devastated about the whole thing. I mean, I'm very serious. I'm one of the very few scientists, I think, that dares to say this because there is a trend even amongst people who are doing their very best, you know, to make it clear to governments and uh, public health officials, etc., that this mass, continuing this mass vaccination campaigns is just a nonsense because there is no scientific base for this. 
But what I'm saying is that we need to take it one step further, because if we are not going to diminish the infectious pressure, we are going to have these massive boost campaigns anyway, due to the circulating virus, of course. That is what is going to boost. And that is why I'm saying if we don't stop these mass vaccination campaigns, if we don't stop the boosting campaigns, if we continue on top to vaccinate our children, then we will not be able to take advantage of this small window of opportunity that we now have with this mild Omicron to use it as a kind of life attenuated vaccine that could generate herd immunity. Because due to the fact that so many people will become susceptible to disease, even if it is mild or moderate, namely all these people who get boosted continuously by this highly infectious virus, the children that now get vaccinated, we will be facing again a wave of disease, even if it's mild or moderate, but that will give rise to a huge surge in what we call seropositivity. This is people who have antibodies, high titers of antibodies against spike protein of Omicron, right? And we will nevertheless, despite the mildness of Omicron, be facing a next step where we will have to deal with a variant that could be really very, very dangerous and, and completely resistant, of course, against the uh, antibodies that people have built up. So my message is um, positive in the sense that I'm saying, okay, if we stop all this, we can take advantage of Omicron. Although I've always been saying, for me, the ideal scenario would that we that would be that in parallel to this, we start to reduce the infectious pressure in the population. And we can only do this if we do, for example, you know, uh, a campaign, six weeks with an antiviral, whether it is ivermectin or anything else, but ivermectin seems to me the best solution to really diminish the infectious pressure. I, I, to your point, is this going to take place? I don't think so. Could this be possibly a catastrophe? I think, scientifically speaking, that there is really a high risk, a high risk that this could occur. I don't think that if we let things go, we have disturbed, perturbed this natural equilibrium between the virus and the immune system for many, many months, for almost like one and a half years, uh, at a very, very significant level, because, you know, we have been vaccinating basically all age groups of the population. We shouldn't think that just by letting it go right now, that this is just going to correct itself. It's always going to correct itself. The question only is, what is the price that you're going to pay, right? And so I'm not confident in the current situation because, to your point, I don't think that governments will do this. And in the meantime, what I see is that despite the fact that these uh, vaccines don't have, uh, you know, have negative effectiveness even, and that they are not safe, that the vaccinations are continued, that the boosts are continued. And of course, if now people even uh, get vaccinated against Omicron through the injections, then you are, of course, even going to further increase this immune pressure uh, uh, on Omicron. 
and 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 then it 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 will certainly it will certainly drive within a few months a uh, highly virulent uh, variant, and and that is what may uh, be what may uh, what we may first see in uh, in Israel, for example, because if my understanding is correct, they have already started the clinical studies with an anti Omicron vaccine. So it's uh, indeed, indeed, Frank, uh, I mean, it's not that I am, unfortunately, I'm not optimistic, although I would love to, to be optimistic because now, you know, there's a kind of momentum, you know, people get sad of all these things, you know, taking away their liberties, uh, being pressured, uh, coerced, etc., cetera, uh, uh, green passes or certificates that discriminate people. And, and now there is some momentum, people are waking up. The virus is mild, etc., and we think we have now the opportunity, you know, to end this pandemic. Unfortunately, I'm saying if we are not going to be proactive and reduce this high infectious pressure, my fear is that, first of all, we will not end the pandemic unless something comes up that, you know, will really... Uh, be very bad news. I, I, I'm not going to tell too much in detail about uh, about my fear and how I think uh, what I think will will happen. But uh, well, you see, I think you see, I think you should because the reality is, Gert, that mm-hmm. um, we know you know where this podcast is going to go. It's not going to go too far, and if it was to go anywhere far, it's going to be mm-hmm. deleted. Um, and I think anybody that who wants to know about these this needs to know about it and i think Mm -hmm. um, we need to have this sort of open conversation and i think um you need to express your fears um, well well, let me first say because these are things that people can follow and first of all you have you know this viral evolution when the virus is put under pressure goes very fast and it does not evolve in a linear way it evolves in an exponential way. I'm always saying we we had barely familiarized ourselves with Delta. And as a few weeks thereafter, Omicron took over mm. within no time. You see how fast this goes from, you know, beta to gamma, from gamma to Delta. It took a lot of time, uh, well, several months, right? Here it's going extremely fast. What I'm saying is that now uh, with the scenario that I'm predicting, it could even go faster because we are again going to put Omicron under pressure. And the hope that we would reach herd immunity with Omicron is real, but it will come too late. I call this too little, too late. And you will see this because in many countries, if you look at uh, the world in data, the John Hopkins data, you will see that uh, you have a surge of the Omicron in some of these countries. And in a number of the countries, the peak is already going down. And it's always like this. If you have this uh, summit, you know, a high or a steep incline, then it suddenly declines, right? Mm-hmm. But what you will, and, and this decline is the virus that basically gets eliminated by the innate immunity. Innate immunity can do this, can eliminate a virus. Right. Vaccinal antibodies cannot do this. I just told you at the beginning that vaccinal antibodies are driving the propagation of more infectious variants. So the infection rate is just increasing. So if you see this steep decline, this is uh, of, uh, in, in now the Omicron surge, this is due to the innate immunity. I, I told you, thanks to the resistance, the innate immunity comes back into the play. But so normally, in order for this pandemic to be completely tamed, 
you would expect this line to get back to the baseline to zero. Yes. That would be elimination of the virus. And then you really have herd immunity. I can tell you that in none of these countries, you will see this, that this line will get back to zero. Okay, and already, so I, I'm going to bring this in here. Just you can see yeah. that, can you? That's that's Google data. I don't know what to make of that, but that's Israel because they're the most vaccinated. I just brought that up. That's what you're talking about here. Yeah, but you can even take, if you take, for example, a country, you can take, uh, I don't know, uh, probably whatever country you can take, you know, uh, for example, Brazil or, or Brazil, whatever. Okay. Uh, they have had a huge, a huge, uh, they had a huge wave, uh, but, but there's also European countries uh, where you get this, you see? So this is, this is the peak. You see the peak and then it, it you see, again, it, yeah. it declines pretty steeply, but then you're going, going to have a plateau. Right. And, and people can look at this. They, they can just follow this and see, double check whether I'm right or wrong. So this line will not get back to zero. So that means that you will still have a substantial and substantial infection rate. What that means is that the virus is still, you know, able to spread and to transmit, etc. Right. And, um, that is where it will ultimately uh, still be able, because it can still transmit and it's still put under pressure. You will see that maybe after a few weeks, but all of a sudden you will have a steep incline again. But my fear is, is that this variant then will be a very, very dangerous one. Why? Because you have to imagine that you had already like 15 one five mutations in a very, very small domain of the virus. This is the, the domain that we call the receptor binding domain. It's the domain of the virus that binds, that latches on the receptor on the cell. Thanks to these 15 mutations, it basically took 15 mutations before this virus managed to resist the neutralizing antibodies of the vaccine, right? So if you now put this virus again under pressure by generating antibodies against Omicron, remember, that's what I was saying is happening in people that are now getting Omicron disease. They build antibodies against, for example, Omicron, right? Then you would say, well, it will take the virus another 15 mutations mm -hmm. in this small domain before it becomes resistant. I mean, that would be, and that is a little bit of evolutionary biology, that would require a high fitness cost of the virus. That means, in other words, the virus would have, would take a very, very long time before it would be able to select a mutant, a variant that is capable of doing that. Because you can imagine in such a small domain, if you have yet another 15 mutations, this would fundamentally change the nature of that domain in a way that it could probably no longer bind to the receptors. So that would be a very unfavorable situation for the virus. For the virus, it's much more convenient to select a mutation outside, completely outside of this receptor binding domain that would enable you know, the virus to enter into the cell through a different mechanism. And, and those mechanisms have been described to some extent. And when it does that, 
then you have a very dangerous situation because you still would have all these anti-Omicron antibodies that bind to the receptor binding domain, but the virus would basically say, I don't care about this receptor binding domain anymore because I'm not going to use it anymore to enter into the cell. So then you have a situation where your virus is still covered with plenty of antibodies. Antibodies that will, of course, completely outcompete your innate antibodies, but that would enhance the entry of the, of the virus into the cell. That is the famous thing that people have heard about, the antibody-dependent enhancement of the disease. So this is when you have antibodies that bind to the virus, that cannot neutralize the virus, but can, you know, can, can in contrast, can enhance the entry of the virus into a susceptible cell. So that now the disease uh, occurs so rapidly that basically your acquired immunity, your antibodies that I previously told you normally help you to recover from the disease simply come too late. So that would mean that in fact, in people who got vaccinated, and have these antibodies that would basically, and got through the disease, as I was saying, vulnerable people, like people who got boosted, like maybe children who got boosted, uh, who, who got uh, immunized, they are more prone to get the disease. And when they do, this could be a phenomenon that then occurs that a such variant would be selected in their body that could still, of course, bind these new antibodies that these diseased people build, the anti-Omicron antibodies. But a new variant would not care about these antibodies. We say, you guys, you can bind as much as you want, because I will be choosing another mechanism to enter into the cell. And those mechanisms have been described. It's just that they are not yet preferentially used by the virus to enter into the cell. The virus still uses the conventional way through the AC2 receptor. But it may, one or two mutations may suffice to make that other mechanism, the preferential mechanism of viral entry. And then again, you have the virus coated by all these antibodies, outcompete the innate immunity, is still infectious, capable of entering into the cell, but the entry will be enhanced, will be expedited, by those antibodies that coat the virus. That is typically what we call antibody-dependent enhancement of disease. And the disease that occurs so fast in these people that, you know, the acquired antibodies uh, come too late. Uh, and normally you recover. The vast majority of the people get the disease and then they can be in bed for a number of days, but then they recover thanks to their acquired immunity. But if that comes too late, that means that, we may be facing serious losses amongst people uh, who got vaccinated. Whereas, again, people who got not vaccinated, their innate immunity is not jeopardized. On the contrary, it gets better and better trained, and it will uh, be better and better prepared to fight off the virus so that they don't get this, uh, you know, uh, disease or or. They, you know, the likelihood that they become susceptible is 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 much lower. Basically. And the speed to which this could happen is, yeah. is, and the speed and the virulence, or you know, the toxicness of this, it, it uh, 
they just won't be possible to react. It could happen so quickly. Is your that is my yeah. fear? That is yeah. my fear, and you have to understand, Frank. I mean, because of these antibodies that are quoting, it seems like the virus becomes more virulent, more pathogenic. In fact, the 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 virulence genes of the virus would not even need to be altered. It's just the fact that this virus get, gets coated with all these antibodies that expedites what we call the pathogenesis of the disease, that it occurs much faster. And it is simply the fact that the acquired immunity cannot catch up in time, you know, to in fact eliminate the virus, that now all of a sudden this virus, it has already broken through the acquired immunity of the vaccinal antibodies that I told you. Now it's also going to break through the innate immunity of these people. So if it breaks through the innate immunity and through the acquired immunity, frankly speaking, there is nothing left in terms of immunity because your vaccinal antibodies don't work. That's basically what we're saying. And so then so take the say the marketing about these vaccines were that okay, they only last a certain amount of time and they don't work anymore. And that's why you need to get boosted. The reason I'm asking you that is say for somebody who has been double vaccinated, um does it leave the, the system. more you get vaccinated the yeah, then, higher your antibody that the worse it is the worse or the weaker the weaker your innate immunity yeah yes so for but, example so is there good news that if uh those th that double vaccinated person might be you know might be okay because those, those are, are you it's difficult double? to say yeah it's difficult to say why because what i'm saying and that is it's i'm always coming to the same part because you, you 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 have to realize, Frank, I mean, this seems all very complex, but I'm always coming back to the same point. People who got one shot or two shots, uh, are they at risk as well? Well, they are, of course, at risk to the extent that they get continuously boosted by the circulating virus, the Omicron, which is highly infectious. The natural boost is, you know, in my humble opinion, even more dangerous in terms of boosting the likelihood of getting boosted than you know the vaccine shot if you like okay so, so, so that is for, one thing yeah, and the other thing is on, yeah. the other thing is that in my opinion you will also see that in countries where uh, governments or public health authorities have been vaccinating people very aggressively so that means you know right from the beginning they have been vaccinating many, many people in a short time. They have been, in other words, vaccinating people before, before these people got an opportunity to train their innate immunity. That is where you will see also the biggest losses, I think. When people got vaccinated, after having trained, having had the opportunity to train their innate immunity, I was telling you, trained innate immunity can better resist the vaccinal antibodies because the affinity becomes higher thanks to the training, that the effect may be attenuated. But people who got, you know, vaccinated right away before they got even any chance to train their innate immunity, they have, of course, a pretty naive innate immunity, like the, the innate immunity almost of, of a naive child. Right. Never got to grow up in a way. Yeah, yeah. In, in simple. Um, so then, okay. it, it, just if you take uh, somebody, I suppose what I kind of want to say, if anybody's been double vaccinated and they're watching this, then they've no harm in getting some antivirals and going on a course for six weeks. That's that's 
you know, say there's 20 people, but 20 people. Well, know. yeah, the, the thing is, the thing is, of course, Frank, and, and that is that is what's so sad about the whole thing. Uh, if you leave it up to the individual, then uh, these drugs are not going to be used in a, in a proper way. Mm. Uh, so people can start to take antivirals, but how long? And, and you know, and then people take them or they don't take them and, and, all this is potentially leading to resistance to those antiviral drugs as well. I mean, okay. not just with anti- antibiotics. I mean, uh, it, it, it's it's so important to use those drugs also correctly. Therefore, I'm saying doing this like massively in a population, but just like six weeks and then you stop it, right? So if you are doing this continuously and some people are taking them and others are not taking them and and etc in in a completely dysregulated way then you may end up with a situation like you're facing with anti antibiotics that you get in in no time in fact resistance uh, to, to 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 this thing so that's why i'm saying this is a public health responsibility this is a pandemic it's not up to the individual to protect mm-hmm. himself it's up to the public health authorities right it's their responsibility to protect the population right and so, therefore, the measures that need to be taken are at a population level per definition, because a pandemic is per definition an infectious disease that affects a whole population, even all of the world. Right? Uh, yeah. yeah, Frank, I, I think we better stop it because otherwise you're not going to sleep. Uh, no, uh, no, I mean, um, right? but, um, well, I tell you what, um, I suppose what I'm going to ask you is um, how are you? How are you doing with all this? Well, you know, Frank, the problem is uh, I'm, you know, my heart really goes out to all the people who have been coerced and, you know, to to get vaccinated. Because, uh, as we are always saying, this is only, you can only allow this provided people are given informed consent. Mm. People have not been given informed consent. Look, the type of information that I'm sharing with you. Were you aware of these things? No, you weren't. Uh, Does that make people think about things? I I guess so. For example, I'm always giving the example, the vast majority of people don't even know that when you get immunized, this is like installing a software program on your computer that you can never ever erase anymore. It's a message to your immune system. It's priming. Priming means that the immune system will memorize that signal, that antigen for the rest of its life. It's not like a drug. You take a drug and, you know, after two days, three days, it's fully eliminated from your blood. And it's like you start from scratch again. This is a message, right? And that means that every single time you come in contact with the pathogen again, it will be recalled. Now, that is fantastic. If you install an antivirus software on your computer that works perfectly, you just want to keep it for as long as possible, right? Mm. But if it doesn't work properly, then it's a problem, right? Mm. So this is a simple thing to tell people that drugs are very, very different from vaccines, for example. And again, the other thing is that People say, yeah, we get vaccinated all the time in our children. And then I'm saying, is this, do we vaccinate just like a trench of the population, for example, the children? Or do we vaccinate like everybody? 
And do we do this in the midst of a war, in the midst of a crisis, in the midst of a pandemic? And then people say, no, of course not, right? And then I'm saying, look, that's the difference. And it makes a big difference because even for vaccines, there are counterindications. The counterindication is with this type of vaccines, our conventional vaccines, never ever do this during a pandemic and never ever vaccinate across all the age groups, right? So, um, so it's so sad that so many people got vaccinated without them even realizing that this is a completely wrong situation to allow this type of, of, uh, of, of vaccines. And then I'm not even talking about the side effects because this is not my field of expertise, but of course I'm aware of the side effects and it suffices to look in Eudrovilligens or the VAERS or, or, or whatever uh, databases. But um, for the unvaccinated, but I, I'm of course the last to discriminate between vaccinated and unvaccinated. I do whatever I can to give advice to people who got vaccinated. But of course, for the unvaccinated, you know, their innate immune system that is usually not usually sufficient, you know, to, to, to fight off a virus. That's also the reason why, nevertheless, at the beginning of the pandemic, a number of young people, they still got disease, they mild disease or moderate, no, no severe disease. But now, if you now look at people who are not vaccinated, for example, myself, my family, friends, relatives, etc., we are a whole bunch. None of us is vaccinated. Mm -hmm. We are not wearing masks. We are not, uh, you know, uh, uh, respecting uh, social or physical distancing. Or, or, or uh, but the only thing we avoid, uh, we avoid, of course, is is overcrowding, is mass gatherings in enclosed uh, rooms, uh, in indoors, for example. But otherwise, you know, your body got so used to train. This is a perfect situation. And then, of course, putting a lot of emphasis on good health, on keeping yourself healthy, healthy lifestyle, mm. no overweight, uh, for example, uh, uh, exercise, uh, you know, uh, healthy nutrition, uh, take vitamin D during winter, take some zinc, for example, take vitamin C as soon as you feel like I'm not 100% fit, etc. All these type of things, which of course don't make money because you cannot commercialize this as an industry, but they are critically important. Also for the people who got vaccinated, it's still important to stick to these rules, I would say. But for me, the most critical thing, the most important thing would be to reduce this infectious pressure because that is something people have not under control. And I'm always asking, you know, the, the experts who refuse to answer that question, I'm always asking them, how are we, you know, how on earth are we going to get rid of these highly infectious variants? And you have seen this succession of the, you know, beta, gamma, delta, uh, omicron. And the common denominator was that every single time they were more infectious than the previous one, right? And how are we going to get rid of, of, of those? People say, oh, they will be eliminated. And I'm saying, no, look at the curves, the example that I just gave you. They will not get to zero. On the contrary, you know, they will, there will be a plateau, you know, way above zero. And that is where the virus will start incubating the next, the next phenotype, the next variant. That is what we call the fitness valley. That is where there is a plateau. It takes a time, some time for the virus to select the next resistant variant, and then to make sure that it can enrich in the population sufficient to then generate the next the next peak, right? Mm -hmm. And these are the signs that can clearly be observed 
but uh, it nevertheless they don't seem to ring a bell with our health authorities or uh, public health authorities etc uh, you know, don't so, they understand? I don't know, or they refuse to see. It. They, they, there is no way back. Uh, simply, that is that is my explanation. Well, you see, there's a couple of things. You see, what's most interesting about the way what's been absent from, let's call it, public health, is just exactly how you talked. You know, I mean, in a, in a world, they you know they locked down gyms but they left off license opened they leave mcdonald's opened yeah, it's, yeah. it's a totally screwed up world mm. and there's rare places like the likes of florida where the the general the surgeon general there is putting adverts out about staying active being healthy vitamin d what? all of these kind of it's in a way it's what care does and that's how care talks yeah. you know what i mean it's just yeah. a totally different way and so um, I suppose that has been the fundamental difference when I talk to somebody like you or when you hear Dr. Peter McCullough talk. Yeah, the early treatment. Eh? We, we didn't yeah, mention yeah. the early treatments. Of course, critically important. I, I, I just hope, Frank, I just hope that, and I hope I'm wrong, but I can tell you the, my scientific arguments as a virologist and vaccinologist are pretty plausible. That doesn't mean that you know i'm saying here i'm 100 percent right yeah what percentage, the high, what percentage do you think you're right actually i was going to ask personally you i think personally i mean I, i'm going to give you a, a conservative figure but uh it it is it is 90 percent right and um so but if this happens what i hope what i hope is that early treatment will still come in time because what I was saying is that if the symptomatology gets expedited, it's not just that your acquired immune response comes too late, but will early treatment still come in time? That is the big question. Because, of course, early treatment, uh, that is that would be the solution, of course, is to treat this as soon as you can. The first symptoms, you, you've got to do this. I mean, this treatment, as Peter McCullough and many others, Chetty in, in South Africa, et cetera, have shown in Zelensky, that um, it is extremely efficient. And it, in, in 85% of the cases, it, it prevents severe disease and hospitalization. Mm. Question is, when we now have a virus that becomes even more virulent and that expedites the pathogenesis, Will this figure still be maintained, this 85%? That, of course, I don't know. Don't know I think yeah. nobody knows, right? But it's a good point, and it's good that you raise it, because I had forgotten it to talk about, of course, early treatment as uh, uh, a very, very important tool, uh, rather than uh, the mass vaccination tool. But, you see, to but in a way, that was kind of why I always wondered, you know, that's, it's just in the way you spoke and the way Dr. Peter McCullough spoke and the way Dr. Pierre Corey spoke. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. all spoke in a way that you'd hope a doctor would talk, which would say, mm -hmm. you know, Frank, this is what you got to do here. Relax. We got this, 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 and this treatment, and, you know, it works. Yeah. Or it'll work 90%. And, yeah. um, uh, and that's what's been utterly absent for the last two years. It's been a myopic uh, worldview. And yeah. like I, you mentioned the word machine at the very, very start of all this. And that's what it felt like to me, that it was a machine that suffocated any alternative voices. 
Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, yeah, yeah I, I know, Frank. I mean, we can talk about this, but uh, and and we are fighting. Yeah, I mean, I'm not giving up. We we continue to fight. But on the other hand, I mean, at my age and having worked in all these organizations and those environments, I know what's going on. So I'm no longer naive, right? But uh, there is no choice. It's simply a moral obligation. It's an ethical obligation to to continue to fight for this and. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it it will need to come from the people, and uh, I I think I think uh, people will make it clear that uh, this this madness must stop. But the only thing that I can say is that there is a lot a lot of damage that um, that has occurred already. Yeah, well, would that be would that be that negative? That Ireland is already like Ireland alone is hugely yeah, vaccinated, yeah, of course, of so it's already the case. Yeah. Yeah. Many of these European countries, many of these European countries. That's what I'm saying. I think. Or my fear is that the damage uh, is, is has taken place already, and that uh, yeah, I, uh, I I I don't think this virus will stop from further evolving and resisting the kind of pressure that it is encountering, and and that it will uh, encounter given the immune status of the population. Yeah. And so then the okay. final, I suppose, is the final call is your call really, which you know, if there was some sanity in the public health in all of the countries, what they would do is what you were recommending. I mean, it, it seems like the antivirals, there's zero risk. So if a program like that could have wondrous rewards, so what's what's not to gain given the given the percentages, yeah. given the maths of especially you know, in Africa, for example, ivermectin is used on a large scale, as you know, for of course other diseases and the you know parasitic diseases, etc. So it is completely doable. It's also cheap. It can be supplied uh, in in huge quantities. Uh, very very safe. But uh, you see, you, ha- yeah. you have the likes of Alex Berenson, who's who put out the. Uh, I can't think of the country it came from, but this latest one on ivermectin. You, do you know Alex Berenson? He's he's a reporter. He, and he yeah. seems. I don't know if he's set against ivermectin, but he wants a categoric result on it. But he comes in and goes, the data is clear, it doesn't work. Now, I've seen a few responses to that, but it's it's very hard, like the world of, of sane perspectives and the megaphone of sane perspective is so, so small and that he is apparently one of these sane people and yet he's now saying ivermectin doesn't work. That's... It's quite difficult. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, that is, of what course, not true. Uh, if you, you have to talk to real experts like uh, uh, like Pierre Corey, for yes. example. Yeah, and, no, uh, no, I appreciate that, Tony. Totally. Yeah, you know where I'm coming is. from in this, this, this whole thing. And Les Story, uh, for example, uh, from the World Health Council, um, she has also, the expertise has been reviewing all these studies, etc. So... Yeah, uh, I mean, what can a reporter, you know, that has not this kind of background, it's just, but that is what's happening all the time. You know? Oh, it is, yeah, yeah. It's just supporting it's just the, the narrative. Yeah. And we are, we are just stupid people because we are wrong about everything. And uh, yeah, we know how it goes. So that is also the reason why I'm saying it's, it's sad to say, but there is, um, it's, it's, it's very, very difficult to, to fight against this. It's, it's all organized. It's all, signed it's all agreed upon 
and people cannot afford losing their faces. And, uh, you know, there is too much at stake. They have pushed it too far. There is no way back unless, uh, yeah, people will push them. And, and that's, we see the protests growing, of course. But uh, in the meantime, I'm repeating myself, more and more damage uh, is, is inflicted. Yeah, and that, and that in, in a way is the problem almost that mm. because they're removing in a lot of countries the mandatory element. It's like as if a job is done almost, you know, they're opening up everywhere, they're letting, yeah. uh, letting people um, back to have their lives back and uh, yet it's like as if they, they want to just, you know, cut the tie now. Have you noticed that to, yeah. to the vaccine oh. You know, some of the countries are people came out and said, oh, and they won't be mandatory. It's like as if, you know, there there will be this narrative that says, well, nobody forced you to get them. You had to, you took them yourself. Yeah, yeah um, of course, of course. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, Frank, I think I will, uh, you know. Uh, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for everything yeah. that you've been doing for the last. And thank yeah, you for well, being patient with me. <laughs> thank you for being patient to explain yeah. to me. Feel free to send your uh, video uh, to me or Ellen because we can post it on our website and it will just get uh, shared uh, yes. more broadly, I guess. Yeah, right? great. Yeah. Okay, well, I, I'll, I'll put it on okay. YouTube. I might get a tick. Who cares? I don't really care. And I put it on Rumble. So, um, yeah, yeah. But we, we will download it on our website so people can always... Uh, find it there even if it gets removed on these other platforms yeah okay yeah yeah okay I mean, I, yeah very good look thank you so much um Gerta. you're very welcome a, a lovely awesome. evening and thank you for your time and everything that you've been doing and have done so see you okay thank you sir take it easy you're very welcome take good care